Hi, you're listening to the Movement Podcast. The podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. I'm Steve Addison. Today I'm talking to David Rudrick, a trainer, a coach, a catalyst for multiplying movements. David's going to talk to us about the important role that teams play in fueling multiplication movements. Teams are absolutely critical to sustaining movements that, are, that multiply. Um, without teams, we, we're really getting stuck, particularly in urbanized contexts. And so it's only since we've started teams that we've been uh, more and more successful in urban type of contexts. And so we're finding that um, the building of teams is, is critical. Um, it's critical to the ongoing development of people, to the ongoing multi- uh, multiplication, to the ongoing disciple-making and training of your leaders. And in essence, uh, all movements are really uh, leadership development environments. And if you stop developing leaders, you stop seeing movement. And when, when you say team, what, what do you understand by that? At its simplest definition, a group of people working towards a common purpose. And so um, the very first team that we would start, we would call an affinity team. And that's a group of people working into a particular affinity in the city. Uh, cities are complex. Cities are unbelievably complex. And uh, depending on who we are, uh, we may want to target a particular affinity or multiple affinities in the city. Um, every affinity or sub-affinity under that really needs a team that's focused on that f- affinity or that group of people. And um, as we begin to develop that team, we begin to see long-term success. In the past, what we did was we dropped in with a training mm-hmm. and then hoped that the training would achieve something. And so we did this kind of two-day, three-day, maybe four-day training we gave people some information and expected them to then somehow live that out for the next couple of weeks and months and years without any continued development. And we expected them basically to do that as individuals, um, uh, each person to go and, you know, bear fruit, go do it on their own. When I looked at the model of Jesus, I didn't see that. Uh, I looked, I saw that Jesus before he does anything, he seems to develop a team. He seems to call a team, and um, he basically turns water into wine, and that's about it. And after that, he, you know, he comes back from being tempted in the desert, and he begins to build a team almost before he builds his ministry. And so we began to switch what we were doing, and we said that uh, at its most basic level, we need to have teams focused on different affinities in the, in the city, and the only way to, to reach the complexity of the city is to address it with multiple teams that are focused on those different groupings of people. And um, we saw that over the long term, this has now been about three years that we've been learning this journey of building teams, that in the long term, there's a lot more sustainability of our workers and of the work uh, as a result of building those teams. Okay, so how would you approach training differently? So, you know, the outcome is is a, is a team focused on an affinity group. 
Well, um, for a start, we don't try and download all the DMM information from, the, from at the beginning. We don't try and tell them everything that there is about movement in the beginning. Um, in the past, we would feel this pressure to try and tell them everything that there is to know so that they would get all the knowledge so that it would be able to function. Hmm. Um, now we see uh, the end goal of the training as forming a team and when you see that end goal is different, you, it begins to influence how you train, uh, what information you give, what content you give, and you've got a, a different outcome. Um, in the beginning, right in the beginning, our goal was to see a team form. Um, it's not necessary to see a group of individuals or you know go out going out on their own and starting the first um, discovery groups. And so um, it began to influence our training. Began to uh, influence the the information that we gave, and, but it and also what, what did that inf- that influence look like? I I think that um, we saw the training as ongoing development, and so instead of trying to give all the information up front, we gave enough information to get people interested, mm-hmm. and then began to talk about the formation of the teams and um, strongly move towards that so that by the end of the training, the team formation is primary on people's minds. And they understand two things. They understand the basic mechanics of what they're going to do, and they understand that they cannot do this alone. Um, they, ha- they need teams. The other thing that it really influenced is uh, we began to see that teams birth teams. Um, individuals find it hard to birth teams. And so we began to see everything as team-based, including uh, the training. So we began to train in teams. We kind of just made a law across the board that trainers weren't going to train on Mm. on their own anymore, but that we would have teams of people training. And the the thing that became critical is what the trainers modeled, Mm. uh, almost more than the content that they gave. Mm. And so when, when the trainers began to model team amongst themselves, we started getting people coming to us saying, I want to sign up for this. And they didn't understand, they didn't even understand all the training. But they said, the reason I want to sign up for this is what I saw, the dynamic I saw between the team members. So there was something about the, the community and the unity of purpose that the team displayed that was attractive. And um, people got on board and then began to fully understand um, DMN. And so... Um, what we modelled became as important as what we taught. Okay, and now I guess on occasions the team may not have been in the room, but there may have been individuals or a couple of people who would then go out and form a team. Or did typically the team already exist in the room? We usually set up trainings um, by having local people that we're going to train um, invite other people. Mm-hmm. So the way that we would set up a training in, a, in an area is not by trying to pull people together ourselves, but by asking local people to pull others together. Um, that already gives us some indication that there's a team leader mm-hmm. and there's someone who has enough influence to be able to build a team. So, yes, there are definitely other people that would join the team and and different things that happen. But even before we arrive, we know that there's a strong likelihood of a team forming because the people in the room were not pulled together by us. They were pulled together by 
uh, the person, the one person who's receiving the training. Right. Okay. All right. So you're building that. You're casting vision for it. You you're giving time in the training for team to begin to form. What's the next phase after the training? What do you do to continue to sort of nurture that movement towards forming teams? Yeah, well, the, the team is a learning environment, and so uh, they're learning and debriefing uh, with each other. Uh, they're going through continued training content. Um, they're assigned a mentor, so there's a, a mentor that begins to work with that team. And uh, the mentor is in a team themselves, and so we have a second level of team, which is your mentor's team. And um, it's very likely that it was some people from the mentor's team that actually did the training. Um, And so they're assigned a mentor, and then they're also put into um, adaptive learning environments. Um, We went have begun to realize in cities that the number one issue that we're facing, the number one challenge we're facing is complexity. Um, I spent three or four years traveling around the world, speaking to different teams that were working in cities and came to the realization as I asked them, spent days asking them, what are the challenges that you're facing and writing down the lists and also speaking to some urban practitioners, urban experts, reading a lot of material that probably the number one challenge that we're facing in in cities is complexity. And um, after a few years of doing this, I began to ask myself, so what's the answer to this complexity? And um, began to realize after some time that the the only way we can get past complexity is adaptability. Mm -hmm. And so at that stage, we had a certain formula and a certain way of doing things, we would say, this is how you start movements, one, two, three, four, five, and we'd have this kind of formula, this plan. And um, slowly we began to learn that this plan just simply doesn't work. Uh, in urban environments, it needs to be changed and morphed and adapted into, into the environment that you're in. And so we began to build not just teams on the ground, our affinity teams, but adaptable teams. So we begin to take them into an adaptive learning um, response. So they get some basics, they go out and begin to practice, they come back, a mentor helps them, and they begin to uh, mold and morph what they know to the environment that they're working in. And then we um, run what we call a crosstalk program between the different teams, Mm -hmm. where every single member in that team is assigned to talk to a member of another team. And um, so we have this crosstalk where it's not just leaders of the teams talking to each other, but all the members talking to all the members of other teams. And then they bring what, what they're learning from their interaction with other teams back to their own teams, and they debrief. Uh, and so the training that we're um, developing is really an adaptive training that, that keeps on learning inside of the movement. It's not really um, a set of information that we pass out. Okay. But everyone in the room is is committed to multiplication movements, multiplying disciples, multiplying groups and churches. Correct. Uh, it's, it's not just a creative ideas group, but these are people who have a, a common cause, who are engaged um, in implementing 
and then wrestling with what they're learning, where they're stuck, and they're learning from each other. Correct. So the, the adaptive learning has a, a cycle, which is implementation. And, and so they have to implement, they have to try things, they have to um, engage with communities, they have to see discovery groups start, and um, they begin then to evaluate the successes and the failures, and from the evaluation, they then adapt. Um, and we have certain checks and balances in place that uh, make sure that it's not, yes, like you say, a creative discussion group, but an implementation group. And, and what are the checks and balances? Um, well, we've got a couple. I mean, one of them I'll give you is um, we have a basic rule that nobody can change anything on their own. Um, they can only change things in team. And so uh, nobody goes out and says, oh, this doesn't work, and then begins making changes. Uh, that basically they uh, implement, they evaluate as a team, um, they cross-talk with other people, they begin to uh, debrief that cross-talk, and only then do they um, adapt, and then they have to implement. And so um, there's checks and balances in the sense that, you know, we don't just give free reign for everybody to go and just, you know, change whatever they want to. Mm. Um, but we do give quite a lot of freedom for teams to together to adapt to the environments that they're working in in the city. Okay. And would they be affinity teams that are in that environment with a, a mentor who's facilitating. Correct. Okay. Well, you mentioned uh, uh, that while you're forming affinity teams, there are also teams of mentors um, who are serving them and, and helping that, that learning implementation go on. So what, what does a mentor team look like? Um, it's really a team of, of, of people that are, uh, kind of at the next level, they're at the catalytic level, and um, they have been implementers, mm -hmm. and they have become, uh, in a sense, fathers or mentors to ground-level teams. And often they are not from the affinities that those teams are working in. So um, in, in one sense, they may be outsiders to the culture. Uh, sometimes they may be insiders to the culture. But they're outsiders to the affinity teams, so they don't um, get involved in the affinity team uh, on a daily or a weekly basis. Um, they come in to help the team stay on course, adapt, learn, encourage them, uh, that kind of thing. And they act as mentors to those teams. Um, they help those teams to stay together. They help those teams to keep implementing, to keep trying. They help them through failure. They help them through team conflict. Um, all those kind of things that happen when you build teams. So they and perhaps some other mentors with them might have been the first people to have trained that team and helped them form, but now it's really the team that's, that's um, implementing. It's the team now that is equipped to train others in their field and the mentor has stepped back as a facilitator, as uh, a catalyst for that team. Correct. And okay. he's working with the team, the, the affiliate team leader, and with the team as a whole. Okay. And um, he may be working with a number of teams. He may be working with three or four. We found, you know, probably five is about maximum. Uh, some, some mentors that are working full-time could, 
you know, work with up to 10 teams mm. if, it, if it's kind of local. Um, but the mentor is, is very, very focused on uh, helping those teams to be successful. And when the mentors get together, what, what does that team experience look like? Um, pretty much like, like all the other teams. Um, most of the teams spend a significant, probably 25% of the time that they get together, a significant portion of the time in prayer. Uh, and so prayer is pretty central to the teams getting together. Um, they will pray about personal issues that each one of the team members is facing. They will uh, debrief the work, what is happening, what is not happening, where are they struggling. They'll be spending time in prayer around that. And then they'll pray for the entire movement. So they will spend a significant amount of time in prayer. I have teams that uh, meet weekly. Um, they're kind of city teams, so it's the next level up. And uh, they will meet for an entire day every week. So they're highly focused. Um, and they will spend two, three hours a week in prayer, um, just, just spending time in prayer before they get to any kind of other um, business. Mm. And they're focused on uh, multiplying af- affinity teams across that city or that region. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So they're, they're training, um, but they're training with a purpose. Uh, they, they would train into a new, if they want to reach a new affinity, they would go into that area, they would look for local people that are uh, hopefully part of that affinity, um, believers, and they would train them, they would work to set up that first team. Um, it may, there may be one or two unbelievers, but most of the training is, is towards believers, so they would set up that team. Um, and then that team would begin to function. There are other teams that emerge from the work. And so hmm. over time, over a year or two or three, uh, obviously you've got people that are coming to faith inside of the different groups. And so new teams will form hmm. out of the work. And so pretty much the same process. Then training would take place, team formation, and they would be assigned a mentor. So to reach a city, you're, you're looking for, for multiplying teams that are that are making disciples, forming those disciples into community, and um, there'll also ideally be at least one team of mentors who act as catalysts who have a vision for that whole city or that region. Correct. So at the most basic level, we have the affinity teams. Um, at the next level up, we would have the mentor teams, and then up from that, we pretty much get geographical. So then it may be an area of the city that forms a team, a section of the city, or it may be the entire city where we have a city team. Um, it may be a country team. It may be a team that's focused on multiple countries, or it may be a global team. And so you can build as, as high as you want to and as many teams as you want to. With, if mm. you don't, if you build too many teams, you just get bogged down and weighed down by. Mm. you know, administrative things and the yeah. work doesn't continue. But um, we have teams focused on different spheres and, um, you know, you can go up as high as, as you want to. At this stage for us, um, we have the affinity teams, we have mentors teams, we have in South Africa a national team. Uh, then we have a team focused on Southern Africa, which is uh, 14 countries. 
and we're busy forming a global team that uh, is duplicating that same thing in other countries. Mm. So you focused on one end game, which is seeing disciple-making movements, but uh, a key sort of engine room for that is wherever you go, wherever you train, uh, wherever you plant, um, you're forming teams who are also focused on, on that outcome. Correct. And the development of the teams is also disciple-making. The continued training and development of those teams is part of your disciple-making. It's part of their the growth and the, you know, nurturing them and helping them to, to grow um, is absolutely critical to the so, entire movement growth. So what you want to see out in the community, you're, you're bringing into the team experience. We are also on a journey of discipleship together, of, of learning how to follow and how to make, make disciples. Correct. And so the teams themselves use a discovery process. They're highly interactive. They are taught how to love each other, respect each other, learn together. Um, they, they wrestle with problems at whatever level they're dealing with. Mm -hmm. So with an affinity team, they're highly focused on uh, reaching the people that they're trying to reach. That's their main focus. Um, at that level, we talk about uh, three structures, teams, groups, and gatherings. I think we talked about that in the last mm. interview. Mm. Um, as you move up, you may be talking about national teams or inter-global teams, international teams. Um, so there's some new skills that need to be learned there. Um, and so, you know, fundraising may be a, a skill that needs to be learned there. How do they raise the funds to be able to continue to send workers into other nations? Mm. and uh, penetrate new new countries. Um, so there are different skills, and we're still in the process of defining all the skills that we feel are needed at every level. So this speaks to the, the with a gung-ho sort of evangelist, disciple-maker, who just knows how to get out there in the harvest and do the stuff. What you're really saying to that person, well, keep doing that, but look around you. Are you building a team at the same time? Correct. I don't think that any movement at its core is evangelistic. I think uh, movements at their core are apostolic. And um, so winning people to Jesus is absolutely crucial, but it's not the end game. I, I think to build a movement, you need to be um, building at every single level. You need to be building, winning people to Christ. You need to be forming healthy churches and communities. You need to be developing leaders, leaders at multiple levels. And all of that is important if you want to see a healthy movement that continues to sustain, continues to multiply. That's all we've got time for today. You'll find links at movements.net to David's website and resources. I'm Steve Anderson and this has been the